Would you remain standing with me as we come now to the Bible? And uh, we're looking this morning at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, or as I hear it's pronounced in some circles, Isaiah. Chapter 6 and beginning at verse 1. Let's hear God's Word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two He flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is God's Word. Michael Haig is the advisor to Will Smith's movie production company. And Michael Haig said this about why people go to the movies. People do not go to the movies to see the characters laugh, cry, and fall in love. They go to the movies to have these experiences themselves. In other words, people are not looking to observe, they are looking to participate. Why is it then that when we go to church, it can sometimes feel like we are just going through the motions. We have a story far more exciting than any movie. And a person much more amazing than any movie star. 
Why can it seem as if we are observing something puny rather than experiencing someone glorious? Perhaps you are looking for a deeper, more real experience of God. You're fed up with all this superficial religion. You want a deeper, more real experience of God. Well, the part of the Bible we're looking at this morning offers that deeper, more real experience of God to you. Isaiah is telling us that everyone who confesses like he did can experience personal spiritual renewal. You need to see, say, and receive. First, see. Isaiah saw Jesus holy in the temple. What he saw is in the temple, and there's a backstory to that. It's the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1. Uzziah had had a long and prosperous reign. He had followed God faithfully, but at the end of his life he became Proud, He arrogantly went into the temple and offered incense in that temple, something which only priests were allowed to do. And in his arrogance, when he was even confronted for this action, he became yet more prideful and shouted and railed against those who had confronted him. And at that moment in the temple, leprosy came on him and spread throughout his whole Body, and he was a leper the rest of his life. And now the prophet Isaiah sees God in this temple. The place that had been defiled by the king was now shown to Isaiah as filled with the holy God. Perhaps you sense that organizational religion, the temple, institutional religion, the temple has been compromised by an individual or a movement or a set of historical events that leave you feeling that it is unclean. Well, this is relevant to you. He saw in the temple High and exalted, enormous robes squeezing to the edges of this massive temple building with angelic seraphim, um, only mentioned here in the Bible, literally the burning ones. Perhaps because, as Isaiah will later experience, there is a burning, or maybe because, as God says in Psalm 104, he has made his angels a flaming fire. Angels are not cute babies. 
And in fact, it's this spirit of burning, as uh, as Isaiah says in chapter 4, that is necessary to cleanse God's people. Isaiah has a commission to speak to a people who will not listen, and yet there is a remnant who will. And those who do must experience the same burning that he does, the spirit of burning. The seraphim, the burning ones circling around God, covering their faces and their feet in fearful respect of the one they serve in the temple. And he saw their God as holy. They're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The idea of holy is at root Set apart, uncommon. Bowls and plates for ordinary use. Bowls and plates set apart for special use in the temple are holy. In the Bible, God is the source of all holiness. He is set apart, uncommon, special. I was uh, traveling through the prairies in Canada with a group of friends. We were driving through the night, and I dozed off. The car stopped. They woke me up. It was the northern lights. Amazing. Uncommon. Special. Stuart Briscoe says the idea of holy is saying that was something else. They're calling out holy, holy, holy in Hebrew. If you want to say that something is extremely good, you say it is good, good. So when a place is translated in our Bibles as full of pits, the Hebrew is literally pits, pits. Or when a bowl is translated as pure gold in our Bible, the Hebrew is literally gold, gold. So if you had a fast car, you would say it was fast. If it was exceptionally, superlatively fast, you would say it was fast, fast. The only place in the whole Bible where there is a three-time repetition is here. Two exceptions. One in Revelation, when this is quoted. And in Ezekiel, where it talks about ruin three times. Other than that, the only place in the whole Bible where there is a three-time repetition is here. To say that God is pure something else, other, uncommon, special, you would say he was holy. To say he is amazingly, superlatively, extraordinarily pure and special, you would say he was holy, holy. To say that God is not just holy, holy, but holy, 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 means that God's holiness is utterly beyond the ability of human language to even express. 
He isn't just pure, he's pure, pure. And he isn't just pure, pure, he's pure, pure, pure. He's holy, holy, holy. The temple shakes. It's filled with smoke at the awesome presence of this holy God. And this God that Isaiah then saw, John's gospel in the New Testament tells us when John quotes from this part of Isaiah's commission, Isaiah, John says, saw Jesus' glory. Uh, The person I first learned this special something else holiness uh, of Jesus. Uh, The person I first learned this from was a man called Mark Ashton. Mark was an Anglican preacher at the church where I went when I was an undergraduate student at Cambridge University. A friend of mine uh, stayed in his house when Mark lived in London for a whole year who was with him 24-7 and that friend of mine said to me, I can honestly tell you that I can model every part of my life after Mark's. I uh, spoke to Mark Ashton before he died of cancer two years ago. I told him that I will always remember one sermon of his. It felt like I was being pinned to the back wall of the church with the awesome presence of God, uncommon. You know, we have so emphasized the humanity of Jesus that we are missing his divinity. When Isaiah saw Jesus, this is who he saw. When you think of Jesus, don't think of a 1970s hippie wearing Jesus sandals with a dusty, birty beard, eating lentils, saying, you know, man, it's going to be okay, whatever you like. Think of Jesus high and lifted up, surrounded by Flaming with fire messengers. And their voices shaking the temple. Think of Jesus as God, for he is God. When you think of Jesus, see Isaiah 6. Second, say. Isaiah said what is true about himself because of who he had seen. Verse 5 Woe is me. That means that Isaiah was in despair. Woe is the kind of, I'm in despair. It's like saying, I have no hope. For I am lost means literally that Isaiah thought he was about to be destroyed. The same word is used in the book of Hosea of a king who shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. It's like saying, I am going to die. 
for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That means that Isaiah now realized that he, as a prophet, and the whole country was in trouble. It's like saying, it's my fault too. G.K. Chesterton was uh, in correspondence one time with the Times, the, the newspaper, the Times, and they were having a discussion about what was wrong with the world, and G.K. Chesterton wrote this very simply, Dear Sir, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's my fault. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That means that Isaiah saw the moral chasm between who he was and who Jesus is as holy, holy, holy. It's like saying, I get what the standard is now. Over the last 10 years, many people have told me some version of the following. Wheaton feels like a bubble. There's a feeling you have to be perfect in Wheaton. People find it hard to open up and be real in Wheaton. There's this expectation of excellence in Wheaton which means people spend a lot of time trying to look good on the outside. At the same time, many people have also told me some version of the following solution to this perceived problem. Emphasize God's holiness less and God's love more. Have less Bible Be more human level. Less transcendence, more imminence. That way, people will feel more free to be real about who they are. Wrong. The only way, and I mean the only, only way. The only way to have people be real about who they are is to have them be real about who God is. The trouble in Wheaton is not that we have made God too big, it's that we've made him too small. When you have a small God, people look big. You care about how much money people make. You care about what kind of clothes people wear. You care about how clever people are. You fear being open about who you are because you care about what other people are going to think about you. You will not come to the front after the service weeping about your pornography habit because you want to keep up a good reputation with the people around you. 
And you will not come to the front after the service weeping about something else for fear that people will think you have a pornography habit. Here's what happens when you see what Isaiah saw. You say what he said. You don't care what people think. You're a prophet in the sixth chapter of the greatest prophetic book ever written, and you don't care. They think less of you because you have unclean lips. For a preacher to confess that he has unclean lips will be like a carpenter confessing that all his carpentry tools were useless. Be like a chef confessing that all his food was rotten. You don't care. You're a businessman. You don't care. They think less of you because you're greedy about storing up your money for yourself. You're an adulterer. And you don't care if people think less of you because you snuck around behind your wife and did stupid stuff in a hotel. You don't care what they think. You care what he thinks. And if you don't get right with God, he's going to kill you. You're going to die. Because you see that he is holy, 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 you better say that you are a complete and utter mess. First, see. Second, say. Third, receive. Isaiah received atonement for his sin and his guilt taken away, verse 7. From the altar where sacrifices were made for sin, a still burning coal is brought to Isaiah and it touches his lips, his mouth. Like fire, grace comes. Unearned, unmerited, sent to us and only received by us. It burns as the sun with holy fire and like light gives warmth and life to all it touches. The atonement is made at the point of confession, his lips, his mouth. Where we sin, grace abounds. Where we fail, mercy thrives. Where we are broken, healing comes. It can come no other place. The wrath of God is atoned, removed, paid for by the sacrifices at the temple, finally fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus, whom Isaiah saw. 
Jesus died in his place and took the penalty he deserved. This means that you must reject the culture of what New York Times columnist David Brooks calls the big me. In 1950, the uh, Gallup organization asked high school seniors if they considered themselves to be very special. 12% said yes. They asked the same question in 2005. 80% said yes. Psychologists have a thing called the narcissism test. There's a 93% higher score in the middle range than 20 years ago. And the median score is 30% up in two decades. They're saying things like this. I am an extraordinary person. I like to look at my body. Why? Pop culture. What does it say? You are special. Trust yourself. You deserve to be happy. You are an incredible person. You're just so special. In other words, you are holy. This is the gospel of Oprah Winfrey. Brooks calls it the gospel of self-help. And my dearly beloved, it is killing our marriages. It is killing our lives. It is killing our country. Right and left, we have narcissists competing for power. I'm so special, I deserve to be in power. The lie is that God's commands are burdensome and happiness comes by doing what you want. But real greatness is only found for the man or woman who serves others and ultimately grows to the capacity of servant of God. Magnanimity beats Triviality hollow every time. And it starts with the humility to receive. The guilt is taken away. Isaiah receives full forgiveness, restoration, restitution, a clean bill of health, a new beginning, a new start. He moves from despair to hope, from sin to righteousness, from death to life, from unclean lips lying about himself to commissioned lips speaking for God. Ajith Fernando tells the story of a man who was converted through the ministry of the British evangelist in the 19th century called Rodney Smith, an unusual, unique kind of evangelist. This man's wife was religious, very religious, and she claimed to be a believer and all the rest. But even though she kept on praying for her husband to come to faith, actually she had a terrible temper. And he wanted nothing to do with that religion of hers if that's what it would lead to. 
One time, Smith frankly told the woman she had to sort out her temper. Christ would give her the grace to cure her temper. Believing in God, she resolved to make a fresh start. Later that day, she was uh, cleaning the house. When her husband came home, he accidentally knocked against a lamp. It fell over, smashed on the floor, and he braced himself for the flood of anger that he had grown so used to. Instead, she said, oh, husband, don't worry, we can get another. Amazed, her husband asked her what had happened. I've trusted Jesus to cure my temper, she said. Well, said the man, if your religion can do that, then I want some. And he came to Christ. Would you receive from God this morning, whether you are in despair or dry, whether you are in sin or in crisis, whether you are wandering away or overburdened, whether you are a man or woman of unclean lips, unclean life, unclean thoughts, unclean deeds, whether you are old or young, rich or poor, black or white, student or mother or father, whatever it is you're done, whether you're a racist or a rapist, professor or high school dropout, would you receive from God the offer of your guilt being taken away and your sin being atoned? Why is it that when we go to church, it can sometimes feel like we are just going through the motions? Everyone who confesses, like Isaiah did, can experience personal spiritual renewal. It's not about the style, it's about the person of Jesus. Confession is God's tool for softening your heart. And that means you need to see. You see Jesus as the holy, holy, holy God. Not a person to play around with and ignore and just think you can get away with murder. Frighteningly holy. That means you need to say, Confess who you are because of who God is. Don't care what other people think. Care what God will do if you do not confess. Woe. Ruin. Damnation. Hell. Forever. That means you need to receive. Receive from Jesus your guilt taken away and your sin atoned. Are you looking for a deeper, more real experience of God? Everyone who confesses like Isaiah did can experience personal, spiritual renewal. 
And therefore, would you now stand with me to confess? Lord, we need you. We need you because we are not holy. We are not extraordinary, special people. We are people of unclean lips, unclean hearts. And you are holy. Holy, holy, holy. Would you then, because of Jesus and his sacrifice, as we confess before you, atone for our guilt? Forgive our sin. And by your Spirit, renew us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.